What a start for Brad Hughes. 180 metres to go. Looking good. Oh, what a shot. What a shot from Brad Hughes. Oh, my goodness. What a finish for Bradley Hughes. Easy number five, joins the lead. An amazing victory for the second time. Brad Hughes wins the Australian Masters. This time by five strokes. A very warm welcome back to the Bradley Hughes Golf Podcast. It's been a long time between drinks, but the events of 2020 have been pretty dire to date, and I felt a timeout was in order. Now with the PGA Tour back in the swing of things, it's a great time to get the ball rolling again. A big thank you to all my past guests that have been so accommodating to date with their time and their insights. Be sure to check out my past episodes in the library. They really are a treasure trove of knowledge from some of the game's greats. In this episode, we jump inside the ropes with one of the premier caddies on the PGA Tour. David Clark has lugged the bag of the likes of Justin Rose, Vijay Singh and Adam Scott and is patiently awaiting the restart of the tour where he'll be working for Cameron Tringali. This episode contains fascinating nuggets about the life of the caddy on and off the course, and I'm sure Clarkie's description of the work ethic of these players will inspire you as a golfer to put some newfound determination into your practice as you strive to become the player that you want to be. Sit back and enjoy my most recent conversation with PGA Tour caddy David Clark. Welcome, David Clark. It's going to be fun to talk to you and give some insight into how the caddy world exists. Uh, I'm big into background stories in golf. They intrigue me a little bit. So tell us about your your early days, where you grew up and, and what type of things you did and, and how uh, a career in golf evolved. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Um, uh, I was a very fortunate uh, growing up to be a junior member at Richmond Golf Club in Surrey, just outside of uh, London and was very fortunate to have a head professional uh, there by the name of Nick Job, as I'm sure that you know Yeah, and yourself. actually that, that freaks me out because I've known you for a little while and I actually lived in Richmond when I played in the European Tour, so I didn't know that. There you go. So, um, I, like I said, I was super fortunate to go to be a junior member of a, a golf club and uh, was, again, super fortunate to have a professional, PJ professional, Nick Job, who uh, was a fantastic golfer in his own right, played many years on the European Tour. Did well in so, a few British Opens, correct? Yeah, he did. He led. Uh, I think Bill Longmuir won. Uh, Bill Longmuir won the British Open. Did he? No, not Bill Longmuir. Bill Excuse Rogers. me. Uh, yes. Anyway, but yeah, Jobby finished second, I believe, or top five somewhere in the Open. But um, so I learned a lot from him. Uh, he was a, a great teacher. Was a a wonderful basics of uh, alignment and posture. Uh, so to grow up with him through my teenage years, he was a quite a big influence on my my journey in life as well. Um, so uh, to learn from him about the golf, and I'd go and caddy for him in PGA events and South Region events, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, Sunningdale foursomes, stuff like that, uh, and obviously uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it obviously gets to a stage in your golf yourself where you have to look at yourself and be like, 
you know, is am I actually good enough to continue and, and go on and, and do this for a living? Uh, and thankfully, again, on my journey, I met uh, Justin Rose at a young age. Uh, and we became friends early teenage years. And again, very fortunate to become friends with somebody like that, who you could obviously see at that age was a, a superstar. Uh, and just grew up playing, uh, got my handicap down, played some amateur golf, British amateur, English amateurs, uh, represented England down in Colombia once, but it wasn't like an, an official deal. Um, and then uh, got an opportunity to come. Well, actually, I played the Sunshine Tour, went down, turned pro and went down to the Sunshine Tour, played there down there for one winter. Didn't play anything because I was obviously never good enough, but thoroughly enjoyed the Monday qualifiers and thoroughly enjoyed life down in South Africa for a few months. Uh, and then because of that, I then fancied, oh, let's go to America, see what uh, the deal is in Florida. And Rosie had a place over here at Lake Nona. So I came and uh, based myself over with him for a, for a while. Played on some Hooters Tour uh, events. Uh, played a full year, I think, on the Hooters Tour and uh but during that time we're staying with mr rose i just kept saying to him mate you look so miserable on tv let me come and caddy for you uh and we'll have a great time not understanding or realizing that you have to actually become a caddy it's not just you can show up and again depends on the pedigree of your player but uh I certainly couldn't do that for Mr. Rose. But um, so that's how it all started. If we, you know, yourself in amateur days, if you got knocked out of an English amateur or a British amateur, you'd always stay around, caddy for your mate. Uh, but I was so fortunate to grow up with an unbelievable crop of players from Rosie, Simon Dyson, Luke Donald, Paul Casey, uh, such wonderful golfers. Uh, and you could see that they were way better than uh, than the average Joe, or not even the average Joe, than I was. Um, so that's how I got into caddying. Uh, so do you think playing, you know, obviously they stopped your golf career because you just thought these guys are too good and I can't keep up with oh, it? Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, you could, I'll never forget, my first event working for Rosie was the 2005 Sony Open. And he was leading after three rounds. First time I'd ever caddied on the PGA Tour. But the thing, we played with Andrew McGee and Bob Estes in the first two rounds. And after 36 holes, my inexperienced self turned around to Rose and said, mate, how bad are these two golfers? I could, I could brush off my clubs again and have a go here. I'm better than these two. But I tell you what, you put them in 120 yards from the hole, and it was putter length every single time with those two. So, uh, you know, there is a, you know, there's a reason. There's only 150 guys who peg it up on the on the PGA Tour every week. And uh, as we know, there's millions and millions and millions of people who play golf. So you've got to be pretty pretty special and pretty good. And you can, you know, you, I try and qualify for the British Open and always get to the pre-qualifier because I didn't have the uh, have the it factor or whatever you want to call it, the pressure would just get to me and I'd shoot 85 or 82 or whatever it may be. So, 
you know, it's it's an unbelievably hard game. And I grew up with a crop of players, which is off the charts. I mean, the guys who I grew up with who are now on the PGA Tour, it's it's unbelievable. But yes, they they were so much better than 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 us. It was it was frightening. There's a lot of people that that think that you know, when you grow up at a golf club and someone's pretty good player, you know, they're shooting around par and stuff, and people talk about being pro, turn a pro and sponsor them. There's a there's a massive difference in there between amateur and pro, and you you sort of see that when you when you get out there. There's good and there's really good, and then there's unbelievable. Absolutely. I mean, I have fortunate enough to play and spend a lot of time at Lake Nona Golf and Country Club here in Orlando. And the amount of people that come up to me and go, oh, have you heard of this guy? I played with this guy the other day. Unbelievable. Un- and what I mean, unbel-. and I say to them straight away, I say, guys, he does not play on the PGA Tour. He's not that good. So what because, do you think the it factor is? What do you what do you find? You know, from your experience, obviously, one, firstly, as a player, and secondly, as a world traveling caddy, and and you know, we'll run through who you've caddied for later on. You, you know, you've caddied for a bunch of the the world's best. Um, what what do they have that the average guy that's thinking about turning pro doesn't have? You know, as in mental. Uh, short game, all round travel expertise, all all different things. What do you what do you think makes those players even? Well, because you, you mentioned more? it last, there is uh, people don't appreciate the strain of just travel alone. I mean, people think everyone's jumping in a private jet and staying in five star hotels and getting their toenails done every night, and that is just obviously, as you know yourself, there is a creme de la creme. There's the group of those guys who obviously have that lifestyle, but for me. It's the way that you hit the golf ball. These guys, like a, a Justin Rose, um, and I've been fortunate to work for Vijay Singh, uh, Adam Scott, and the way they hit the golf ball, the noise that they make, and as you know yourself, I'm a great believer in you can tell everything from the divot of a, of a, of a golf shot. It makes a different sound, doesn't it? Absolutely. And you, as you know, you're a... a a wonderful goal for yourself and had a lot of success and you have that noise and you have that compression and it's, it's not the, you know, obviously mental side of it. You can, you know, the, the guy's attitude for me is, is I'll never forget Ricky Fowler finishing second in every major back in, I can't 15 or whatever it was. He finished second in every single major and his facial expressions on the last day and everything did not waver whether he missed the putt, hold the putt, hit a great putt, hit a bad putt, hit a good shot, whatever it was. And I think that is a, a something that these guys have. And the amount of times as well where the wonderful great golfers will make a bogey and the next hole, you can bet your life on it, they're making birdie. Right, yeah, bounce back. Oh, their, their ability to bounce back is off the charts. And I, I don't know what the numbers are. I'm not a statistician, but... I know for a fact that Mr. Rose will be up there, and I know that Adam Scott would be up there, and Mr. Singh would also be up there. So would you say that um, the fact that they, they're not expressionless, but it doesn't, you know, they don't get, some people like to get a bit of heat out now and then, and some people don't, like you just mentioned with Ricky. You think that bears back to the factor that the old cliche, every shot is one shot at a time, every shot counts, and no shot's more important than another? It is, uh, unfortunately. Um, but obviously, as you know, the process 
to it. And it's different horses for different courses. I can, you know, again, being wonderfully having a great friendship with Rosie, I say to him, mate, you've got more money than you can ever spend. So surely you should be as free and as motionless as you are, you know, as you can be, because you've got more than you could ever spend. So if you just be free and get yourself out of the way and go and actually do what you're supposed to do, the results will be phenomenal. But it's, it's obviously a, you know, as you know, it's a brutally tough game and there's only 150 guys who peg it up. I think you have to, the noise is different. Um, reading lies, working for VJ, working for Adam. Adam was unbelievable at it. Paul Casey was unbelievable at it. The way they read a lie would have X amount of hundreds of yards and would have 220 to the front of the green and Adam's pulling out eight iron. And I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? Where are you, where are you going with that? <laughs> but, but because he's read the You're lie, <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> because he's read the lie or he's going to do something with the face or the angle of the face down at the bottom there at impact, who knows? But, you know, and nine and a half times out of 10, it would be absolutely, uh, absolutely perfect, you know? I think that's a great point. I remember one of my friends came over to Australia and caddied for me in the, the Masters there one year. And um, I had, on like the fourth hole at Victoria Golf Club as a par three, and I hit a six iron. Let's say it was 186 yards. And I hit it pretty close, tapped it in for a birdie. And then the next hole I had 160 yards, and I pulled out a six iron. And he sort of looked at me with that dumbfounded look like, hang on, this is 25 yards shorter than the last shot and you're hitting the same, mm-hmm. same club. Why, you know, yep. What's going on here? But that, that's the ability that great players tend to have, is it? 100%. They and you'll s- see it also around the greens. They'll blow you away around the greens with, I mean, I would, when I, we'll talk about it later, but when I worked for VJ, every morning we would go to Sawgrass and I would put a ball a foot apart all the way around the chipping area, all run, running through the bunker. And he would never want a good lie. He would ask me even just to push on it, put a bit of pressure on it, or put it in the dirt a little bit. Because, it's as you know yourself, it's very rare that you'll walk up to a, a ball when you've missed a green and it's sitting up like a pair on a drum. So he would always want very suspect lies, little cuppy lies, thin lies, tight, you know, whatever it was around the chipping area. And just walk around and just chip away, chip away, chip away. And it's the most amazing thing to watch because the guy, even though you're practicing every single shot, he's down there. He's reading the lie. He's looking at it. And he's, you know, doing his swing or his action to what he's looking, what the lie's looking like, you know. And it's amazing. And again, it's the noise. I mean, listening to that man hit bunker shots, 60-yard bunker shots, DJ on a morning and the noise that he would make. I mean, you can just tell, you, you know, as well, you don't even need to watch a guy hit a bunker shot. You can just hear from the noise. And again, with the wonderful players, the amount of players, amazing players I've worked for, it's all noise. You can, you don't even need to watch the ball. You can just hear it. It's, it's, it's a, it's a special thing and not many people have got it, you know, and <clears throat> you can obviously talk about it till you're blue in the face, but I, on, I really believe that technology has allowed golfers who aren't as talented come and play on the PGA tour uh, because of technology, meaning that their ability is not as 
you know, as great as it should be because of the clubs that are using, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. hundred percent. And, and that, I love that point that you just made. I like, I, I know I used to do similar things like that. You know, I'd learn to hit out of thick rough. I'd learn to play around trees, you know, I'd drop it on the pine knee. I'd do all, all my practice sort of, not just out in the middle of the driving range trying to hit perfect shots off perfect lies all the time. And that, that's probably where a lot of golfers get stuck. They they get into these different scenarios that they just have never practiced and never tried, so they can't do it. But that's that's the difference. You know, one of the differences between the pros, they they practice things that they know they're gonna, you know, they're gonna involve them in a in a, a shot or an important time in a tournament at some point down the road. They've already worked on that shot. Absolutely. I mean, I caddied for VJ in the British Open at Royal Lytham when only won. We did not hit one practice ball on the practice ground you know live them blackpool there we hit every single ball on the beach that week and the week before vj always turned up to a major a week before so we just spend the whole two weeks 14 days on the beach in blackpool hitting balls off the beach and we'd only go to the golf course to either play the course and to warm up on the range and that was it every time straight after we finish straight to the beach Hit balls off the beach. Because if you can, you know, people obviously... It worked for Seve. Well, listen, I was just about to say, everyone thinks those those pictures of Seve that David Cannon, wonderful pictures, but people don't ever think, why is that guy out there? Why is he doing that? And it's because he and VJ and Adam Scott are ball strikers, compressors of the golf ball. The ball stays on the face forever. Because if you can hit a ball, a four iron, off the beach in Blackpool repeatedly, you know what you're doing. Because if anything goes wrong there, a tiny little bit, any which way, you're hitting it fat or you're hitting it thin. Because the beach will give you no favours. Well, lucky that beach is in England because there couldn't be any sunbathers down the beach in England. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just dog walkers. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to get back to you know your relationship with, with Rosie. We've talked about it ourselves in the past but you know he went out as an amateur came fourth in the 98 open at Birkdale and you know that was a, a big moment obviously you were watching him with heart and mouth going through it all and um, then he turned pro and had that really bad start I guess you could call it I think 21 cuts in a row he missed so as a friend or later on as a caddy what do you think what was the difference in why he couldn't take that straight away? And obviously there's a million reasons, but from your perspective, why, why is it so hard or does that prove that it's so hard to, to go from amateur to pro and, and you know, not everyone achieves it straight away? Sure, and it, and it is amazing. It's an amazing process. I always related to the amount of European golfers who have tried to come over to America but can't crack it. They can play unbelievable golf anywhere else in the world, but they just can't come to. And it's, it's weird. I don't understand... You know, I don't know if it's the pressure. I don't know if it's the college level. I don't know if that's the, you know, the amount of times you hear. I mean, even now you've got an amateur world ranking system. I mean, I wouldn't know, you know, the top 10 amateurs in in the world. But uh, with Rosie, listen, he was always going to be a superstar. And for him to experience what he experienced, I don't know why, what happened. I think obviously with you know, contracts and and um, people wanting a piece of your pie. He's 17 years of age. It's a, you know, again, you're starting to travel. You're leaving your family. Uh, his dad obviously uh, became ill 
etc., etc. He missed 21 cuts in a row. But like I said to him many, many, many times, mate, if that's how you started out, you've become a superly leathered, skinned player from the get-go. If you can deal with that and get through that and still succeed and have what you have now and what you've done, mate, it's the, it's the best. And, you know, you, you hear of the guys who come out of college, superstar, 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 never hear of them again. So in my personal thing, you know, to go through what he went through, I mean, what a great, even though I'm sure, you know, shocking. Well, they used to call him Just Invite, didn't they? That's what, that's what they used to call him back there. And then now, you know, he's, you know, he's a, a six-time Ryder Cup player or, you know, whatever. The, and it's, uh, and, and he's you know, a rock, isn't he? Like, first tournament back last week, there he is, right? Oh, the, oh yeah. Right there again. Because people, again, people don't realise his, he worked his ass off for the time. He, you know, he utilised the time that he had. You know, I FaceTimed him one day. We had a, uh, and he's at 8.30 at night and he's still in the gym on, the, on doing something. But he worked his ass off. And, you know, it, and VJ would always say to me, he, it's just a muscle memory. If you hit enough balls and you keep doing what you're supposed to do and you get these muscles, you know, repeat, 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 it should become a lot easier, right? 100%. You know, so, you know, VJ would always, he wasn't, he wanted to, you know, obviously when you come uh, after years of work, after years of working for him, you try and in your own mind, try and work out his deal. But, you know, he just wanted to hit the same shot every single time, whether he was playing with his son on a Monday morning, whether he was playing with me on a Wednesday afternoon or when he, whether he was leaving the PGA at Whistling Straits. He wanted to complete his turn and hit the ball left to right, start left of target. And he did it so much, so much, so much that he became repetitive. And hence why it was such an unbelievable career that that man's had. Yeah, his practice sessions are obviously legendary. I've, I've spent a lot of time with VJ over the years. In fact, I was down there uh, the week before the Masters last year working with his son and um, VJ was we were talking a little bit and I was watching him hit balls and he was honestly there. He wore me out just watching him for how many balls he hit. So caddying for him, how how was that? Like obviously it's a lot of time out of your day, but I mean that's what you're getting paid for and that's what you love to do. But is it tiresome? Was it awesome seeing him working that hard still? Or was it, you know, what type of emotions did you get from it? So I massively believe that I would not have had the success, all the players that I have worked for since working for VJ, if I hadn't worked for that man. He pretty much taught me everything um, from the golf swing to work ethic to, to punctuality to invest in everything you have into what he's doing. And... You know, to, to see the way some of these young kids, their work ethic now, it, you know, it's, it's laughable, really. I mean, we would have breakfast on the range. We would have lunch on the range. We would never go into the clubhouse. And even if it was raining or thunder and lightning, we'd pull the big uh, wheelie thing, the cover, over to uh, hit balls. So he, he would always say to me, amazing phrase, that he would always say to me, the minute that you're making an excuse, you're already in the wrong. 
So I've always tried to live since working for him in that instance where, you know, if you make an excuse one day, I know we all make excuses in our life to uh, whatever it may be. But, you know, it's an interesting that he thinks that the minute you make an excuse, you're in the wrong. And his work ethic, Bradley, was off the chart. If he had a sore right hand or a right wrist, he would stand there all day hitting with his left arm. If it was vice versa, sore left arm or he couldn't do something. I remember when he had a bad back and he, I had to, I sat there all, well, not all day, but sat there for hours. He would do sit-up crunches in front of me and I'd have to drop the medicine ball onto his stomach to strengthen his core to make his back stronger. But you, you can't win $80 million and 40 PGA Tour events or whatever it is without sacrificing a lot to your cause. I mean, we go back to Rosie and he's the same. He, he's invested his life into doing what he does. Vijay's the same. And you have to, you've got to do it. You know, you, Tiger Woods, he's invested his life. Rory McIlroy, super, super talented, super, super, super talented. But he works hard. He works his ass off still. And it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm a great believer. What you put in is what you get out. And to work for Vijay Singh and to see his work ethic and to succeed with him, I'm uh, pretty proud of that. You know pretty what I love about, about guys like that too is, you know, when you watch them practice, it's, it's not a grind. It's actually a, a genuine love of that, either mm-hmm. that shot or what's about to come or, you know, they're, they're, stri- they're not just doing it because someone said you've got to spend eight hours on the range. They're, they're doing Absolutely. it for a reason. But that man was, he, that's what he did. We woke up and, you know, again, you, I gave, and not just me, Paul Tesori, Chad Reynolds, you give your life to him for the time that you're working for him because it's a, a he wants to see what you've got. He wants to see, you know, how thick your skin is and how far he can push you and how much he can get out of you until there's a, uh, an altercation or a, because he, he's working his ass off. He's in the gym at seven o'clock in the morning. He's pounding golf balls all day long. He wants you to be the same. And I remember I, I enjoy cycling, road cycling. He, he wanted for the three years I worked for him, he wanted me in the gym. He wanted me to go to the gym, do the gym thing with him. But I used to enjoy cycling and he couldn't get his head around that I wanted to cycle, you know, and it's a good exercise rather than go to the gym with him and spend, I mean, like I said, if he had his own way, you were with him from eight o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock at night, bedtime. And you live with a guy. I lived with him. I mean, I'm not sure. We had a, we had a bit of a funny deal with my missus at the time. My missus was in England. She got banned from America for visa reasons. So I could have, my whole Vijay had my whole time, so I actually lived with him in Pontevedra the whole time that I worked for him. In those nice digs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I don't want anyone to. I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. <laughs> and that's the thing with that man. People don't realise. People he people give off that he's I don't know an arse or. But I tell you, if you're on his team, you have not a care in your world. You can't pay for anything. He pays for everything. His generosity is off the charts. And even to this day now, every year I do the father and son to him. And he's certainly like a father, father 
figure to me and would do anything for me today. So to have a, a VJ Singh who has my back, it's uh, it's a nice feeling. Yeah, I've known VJ for probably about uh, just over 30 years, I think. Mm. And yeah, he's just been the same VJ. I, I've always enjoyed his company. You know, he looks serious. He obviously is serious about his golf, but he can tell a joke and he can have a good time as well. He's, he's a funny guy. He is. He's a. I've got a lot of time for the man. Like I said, without him, I wouldn't have gone on to caddy for the people that I have caddied for. So there's no doubt about that. We all want to become better. Now you have the opportunity to learn all about the training drills I use with my amateur players, beginners, and my PGA Tour players that I work with. My second ebook, The 430 Path to Great Golf, is now available. Take an in-depth look at the technique and drills that have helped hundreds of golfers the world over. Train your swing to be more powerful, more consistent, and more like you envision your swing to be. The 430 Path to Great Golf, only available in the store at bradleyhughesgolfforum.com and bradleyhughesgolf-members.com. Bradley Hughes Golf, it's where experience counts. Now let's get back to the interview. So our little Aussie connection here is um, with Adam Scott. Obviously, at the time, there's Steve Williams. I'll give you a little sidetrack about Steve Williams. Not many people know this story. I actually grew up with Steve Williams. Did I tell you that? Yeah, I think you have touched on it. Yeah, he was on. the assistant pro at my golf club in Melbourne, Australia, at Rossdale. Yeah. That's and it, nice. yeah. I used to go play golf with him every day. In fact, I used to caddy for him on his Monday wow. assistant pro tournament. So maybe I taught him everything he knows about caddying <laughs> from what I was doing there. But, uh, you know, Steve had a great career, obviously, with Floyd, Norman, and especially Tiger. And he worked with Adam when he won the Masters, and Steve was ready to tone down the caddying, and, and Scotty trialed a few different uh, caddies to see who would take Steve's spot, and you were one of them. Tell us about that experience. Well, there was uh, a trial, uh, pre-trial. I actually didn't get the job the first time. Um, I was working for Cameron Tringali, um, and um, Adam gave me a call, and he said... Uh, I'd like you to come down to Australia and uh, um, do a couple of events for me there and one in China as a trial. Uh, I'm trying out another guy as well. He's going to do these other events and um, we'll go from there. So unfortunately, I had to part ways with Cameron uh, to then go and do that. Uh, Unfortunately, didn't get the job the first time with Adam. Um, uh, and then Paul Casey actually got in contact with me, uh, and I did a year with Paul Casey, uh, and then Adam contacted me at, again at the end of that year and asked me would I be interested in a, a job share with uh, Steve Williams and myself. Uh, and obviously when somebody like that, it's classed or renowned, however you want to put it, as one of the probably, if not, the best jobs on the PGA Tour, Mr. Adam Scott. So I had to obviously accept that. And um, it was funny. I had just finished, we just been to Tour Championship with Paul Casey and I had a trip booked. Um, Justin lives down in uh, the Bahamas. So I was going to, we were going to take my family down to the Bahamas and go down with him and uh, have a holiday after our season and uh, Adam contacted me. He was actually down there because they're neighbours down there in the Bahamas. 
And he said, uh, Clarky, here's the offer. Would you like to do it? If you'd like to do it, you start on Friday. We're flying to South Korea for the President's Cup. <laughs> so, um, obviously, uh, that was a, a no-brainer, um, with obviously no disrespect to anyone, but uh, to have an opportunity. And obviously, as you know, Adam, world-class player, he doesn't play a schedule like a... Uh, normal <laughs> PJ Tour Pro, and I have uh, had, or at the time had a young family, uh, and again with working for a name like that, you're very fortunate uh, financially. So uh, working 10, 12 events a year and spending some time with your family. My wife didn't like that too much, but I enjoyed <laughs> seeing seeing my children grow up a little bit. So. Uh, I went off and did this um, President's Cup and uh, worked for him for two and a half years, I believe. And wonder had a wonderful time with him. Uh, just listen, these superstar golfers, I'm a great believer with, you know, when it comes to, I mean, Adam employed me purely not for my caddying skills. You know, when I say caddying skills, I'm, I'm, again, I'm a massive believer. You know, I was fortunate enough to win with Adam at the Honda Classic and then, then directly the next week in uh, Doral, the world event down in Miami. And when these guys are going and when they're doing their thing, you just, as long as you get in your mathematician right, it's just a, a case of leaning the bag and saying, there you go, mate. Absolutely. Because they're so on. I mean, listen, is Steve Williams an unbelievable caddy? Absolutely he is. Has he made decisions through his career that uh, has helped in a situation? Absolutely, I'm sure. But he also did caddy for Tiger Woods. And nobody's ever going to come on this planet and do what that Tiger Woods has done on this planet. I mean, Adam Scott, what career he's had. I mean, obviously he could and should have and hopefully will still win more. But it's... Uh, they are so good when they're on, it's unbelievable. And Adam employed me purely to put a smile back on his face. Everything was getting a bit too much for him uh, around, you know, the fringes. And he just wanted someone to come and carry his bag that put a smile on his face and loosened him up a bit. And, and that's what I did. And, you know, we he played unbelievable for, I mean, he could have won. I mean, he, yeah, he was... Uh, for a while there, he was playing unbelievable, unbelievable. When we should have won Bay Hill the week, I mean, it was just crazy, crazy. But to watch that man in action, to hit golf balls, and as you know, one of the best drivers of the golf ball ever to touch the planet, and to watch him in, in full flow driver is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And he's got a bit of charisma, Scotty. Oh, yes. And listen, he's got, you know, he's, uh, and again, you know, the opportunity, you know, the, what you see and, the man flies around the world in his own aeroplane and, and you, you get a part of that and the life it's, uh, yeah. And he, uh, he can certainly golf his ball, that man. It was, uh, unbelievable to spend some time with him. So you touched on this a little bit in your answer there or talking about Adam, um, a caddy, what, what's their big contribution, you know, like, and, and I agree with you. Like I remember, one year when I was going down to the Australian Masters, and, and you know my caddy who's unfortunately passed away now, the Brit, he yes, sir. first time down to Australia, and we got to Huntingdale there, of course, that I'd had success at, and I, I think you won there with Rosie too, didn't you? Yes, sir. Awesome. 
And and I said to Brett, I said, Brett, all you have to do this week is just give me a number, and that's it. Yeah, don't, don't club me. Don't tell me anything. I know this course too well. And obviously, we ended up winning that week. So there are moments like that. I didn't get them as often as Adam Scott and Tiger Woods did, but there are times exactly like that where the caddy is just like your mate. So you know, walking around carrying the clubs. But what what other big contributions? You know, obviously every player is different, but is you know sometimes you got to be a psychologist and a sometimes a confident, other times friends, dinner guests, like roommate, yeah. all the, all these different things. What what's uh, what's the David Clark? What was he best at? I um, yeah, I, I've always taken this job as my job, my career, and something that I've always you know I I don't. Uh, with again with the players that I've worked for, I've got enough caddy stories, you know, to to last me a lifetime. So to uh, work for players and to tell them stories and to to lighten them up a little bit, keep the smile on the face. <laughs> and again, different players, different horses for courses. Some guys want to see you on an evening. Some guys don't want to see you on an evening. VJ wants to spend every waking minute with his caddy, but that's part of the job. You know, going in that that's what is is going to be expected of you. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know. Um, sorry, mate, I've totally forgotten your question. I have to edit that. I was just going to say, what was your best attribute you thought as a caddy that you could help player with, you know, the friendly side or the motivation or the psychologist? Well, I think, again, you know, you're seeing it more now. You're seeing a lot of guys bringing out friends. friends. And I'm a massive believer that if you have a proper caddy on your bag that knows what he's doing... It's going to, A, going to save you shots, and B, it's going to earn you more money. Because, you know, VJ would always say to me, I don't want to hear an, uh, I would, uh, 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 he said, if you're wrong, I don't care. But be committed and be wrong. You know, you hear, it amazes me how many caddies out on tour on par threes will look in another caddy's bag for what club they're hitting on a par three. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's mind-boggling to me that, you know, you don't know how, you, how, you, how far your player hits the, hits the club. And again, I always practice. Every player that I've worked for, I'd always go and practice with them because I think that if you're lucky enough to get into a situation where you do need to stand up and be counted and say, no, no, mate, we've got the wrong club here. Or, hey, mate, I've got the wrong number here. You know, stop. Can we uh, start again, please? Um, so, but um, I think a, a good caddy is worth a, worth a, and again, quarter of a shot, half a shot. And I think if you save your man half a shot, then uh, then you are doing a good job. And it's the same same as as always. There's stressful times, there's stressful moments out there. <laughs> you know, again, but we're all so super privileged and so fortunate to do what we do so to you know f and to blind and to snap clubs and you know i won't with again with me 16 years deep as caddy i won't work for a guy who has a reputation now of you know a, a finger pointer or a um club okay. thrower or anyone like that because i'm not in it for that anymore i'm bringing up Three children try not to behave like a bunch of wallies out on a golf course, you know. So if you if you if you've been given the opportunity 
and have the skill to compete on the PGA Tour and you can't get out of bed on the morning and come and conduct yourself as a professional because you are a professional golfer, then uh, I think it's, uh, it's pretty sad. And again, listen, it's easy to say, but in my early days, Rosie totally, again, employed me to put a smile on his face, to, to loosen him up a little bit. But there's times when, you know, he, he, he's like up in my face and, and, and shoving his, the peak of his cap up in my face, you know, during a golf tournament. But I also understand the pressures and, and the want and the desire to succeed at this game. And I've always said it's, an amaz- it's amazing what this small white golf ball does to a grown man. And, and talking about that, how you mentioned, you know, you'd rather be affirmative than correct, I guess, would be the right phrase, you know. And, oh, yeah, and I right. always love that. I, I know, you know, my best caddies were thinking ahead. Like if, if he could, my caddy could see in my head if I was wondering how far it is over that bunker and he'd have the number on the tip of his tongue ready to ready to tell me. I think that's, you know, that's just being prepared. That's That's a great sign of a caddy where you don't have to, Wait, you don't have to get upset. You don't have to lose your rhythm. The, the, a good caddy knows exactly what to say and, and when to say it. So based on that, what um, are there anything you have done that you wish you had back, even if you didn't get the blame for it or not? Oh, absolutely. Many times. I mean, I'll never forget saying to Rosie. I mean, we could talk about it all night. I mean, I'll never forget saying to Rosie at Tampa, you know that awful par three. Is it 13 over the water? Yeah. <laughs> he's at this shot, the pin's on the front there, he's at this shot. And it's, I mean, again, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful golf shot. And I say, as balls in flight coming down, I say, land like a butterfly. And I mean, I don't know where I'm thinking where I've got the credentials to be saying that to Rosie's ball. Splosh in the water, short. He said, is that effing soft enough for you, Clarky? <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember giving VJ a wrong number at uh, Spyglass, and it was a par five. It's like thirteen or fourteen, and it's a uh, uh, like a boomerang shaped green, and the and the and the water sits <laughs> short right there. And I, I must have counted. I subtracted rather than adding on the on the on the third shot, the pitch shot, and gave him four yards short or three, uh, six yards short or something, and he spanned it off the front of the green there. And he actually said to me there, he said, that's a wrong number. And again, it's happened to me in my career a few times before. They've hit the shot, the player, and this is no word of a lie, they've hit the shot, and within it traveling, I don't know, a second and a half, two seconds in the air, they've turned around to me and said, that's the wrong number. <laughs> I'm serious. And that again, and it's only the superstars that have said that. I go in Rosie in Denver again, earlier in my career. And Denver's a nightmare because you're oh, high Denver's up. Denver's a little bit at, trickier anyway, yeah. Sure. But he's and he did it. And I and he hit the shot and he over the back of the green. He said, wrong number in the air. And it was. And it's, I mean, Vijay did to me. It's amazing. They are. It's uh, scary. So obviously you yeah, got man. to hang you got to hang with all these players and obviously played in extreme uh you know events. I'm not sure how late in the in the day you got in some majors there but you did the president's cup and everything like that. What's the um what's the best sh- shot you ever saw like in in a situation that whether it was one of your guys or someone else's that you were playing with? Well, I've always uh, Adam um 
at uh, Honda. I mean, he was leading by seven at the point at, the, at this time. I think six. I think he was in the third round. And uh, it's the tour eleventh hole, and the wind's pumping because it's a tough shot over the water there, and the wind's it's a t- he's hitting five iron. So I mean, you watch coverage on Honda Classic and on the eleventh hole there, and tell me the last time someone hit a five iron into that green. Uh, and he hit this five iron. He started it out into the water, and obviously everything. And, and hit it to three foot, and it. I'll never forget. They actually showed the shot from the from the balloon, and it was the strangest, amazing because the ball flight was just water. You just looked at it. I was in the water, 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 and in the last minute, it just comes to the a green and it just lands. But in that at that time, it was it was unbelievable. And I even he hit the shot, and I said that's unbelievable. You could just tell as soon as he hit it, everything was just going to do exactly what it said on the tin, and and, and it did. It was so that's uh, but you know I've been so fortunate to work for who I class as proper golfers who hit the golf ball properly, like yourself. Um, unfortunately, they're a dying art now, but uh, I'll be yeah. Paul Casey is another one. Paul Casey for me, he is uh, a an unbelievable golfer compressor of the golf yeah, ball striker me of nick price i played a bit with pricey and, and i never heard him casey's got that sound that like it, it's yes, like he, he never miss hits it so i caddied for paul casey for one year and i worked for him at augusta and he finished fifth for augusta and i had never seen a golfer the knowledge that paul casey up in his his brain or his mind or whatever his conscious whatever you want to call it his knowledge of that golf course was unbelievable. I was absolutely dumbfounded with the knowledge that he had of that golf course. Unbelievable. And you need where knowledge. To, oh, where to leave a golf ball, where to, what to do. To, and I was, you know, it was, uh, it was actually uh, very, very impressive. And as you know, the guy is an unbelievable golfer. He hits the golf ball ridiculously properly and uh, has had a, an obviously a wonderful career, but uh yeah, he can certainly golf his ball too, that young man. What about your favourite course, Clarkie? What's your favourite course uh, as a from a player perspective too, but also from caddying? Uh, I, I'm, I mean, Augusta National. I, I always get a pep in my step any British Open. You know, St Andrews, Lytham, Hoy Lake, those wonderful venues that I've worked at. It's uh, they're special places to me, but it's a special, different golf that the Open golf. It's a uh, you know, only a certain, well, I mean, it has been proved differently a few times over the years, but there's only certain golfers that can win that golf tournament, in my opinion. And uh, same, but Augusta National is another one. It's just, uh, again, unless you go there and unless you see what it is, you can't explain to somebody that it's just like in a big bowl and it's just the most manicured, unbelievable place you're ever going to see with golf clubs. So, can we get to play there? Uh, I played the, this uh, an unbelievable story here quickly. Uh, back in the day, um, Rosie calls me the night before. He says, me, you and Poulter, we're playing at Lake Nona tomorrow. This is, I can't even think of the year. This is a pre-me caddying for him. So maybe 2003 or four. Three or four, is, this is. Uh, he's, I said, okay, perfect. So I'm thinking, oh, Lake Nona, how good this going to be? Clean my clubs, clean my shoes. I'm there with... Uh, plenty of time to spare in the morning 
uh, they walk out the clubhouse and they ha- don't have their shoes on. And I'm like, what are we? I thought we were playing golf. He goes, oh, no, we're not playing here. We're going to Augusta. <laughs> so this is two weeks before Augusta. So they're going up to do their, their pre-recce or whatever they, you know, they like to call it. So, uh, yes, I went and played with uh, those two Herberts many years ago around there. And, I, you know, obviously I probably shot 114. But <laughs> just the... Uh, the green's yeah. got the better of you. It was unbelievable. It's just an, un- it's an unbelievable place. It's off the charts. All right, I've got a couple of other questions for you. What about um, what do you miss most about England? You know, from your your experience growing up there and everything. Are you a soccer fan? No, I'm not uh, I'm a soccer fan. I I grew up at um, Twickenham Rugby Ground. Aha. Uh-huh. My know grandfather, well. my grandfather ran the rugby ground for X amount of years, and then my father took over. Uh, the rugby, uh, the rugby ground from my granddad. So uh, I actually grew up from the age of two till I left when I was maybe twenty uh, at Twickenham Rugby Ground. Yeah, so that was cool. my, yeah, that was my sport. I used to hit um, golf balls right next to there at that course. That was that was Richmond course, wasn't that the golf course yeah, next door? Yeah, yeah that's it. Um, Raw Mid uh, Raw Mid Surrey. That's it. I think that's right. Yeah. I used to yeah. go hit balls there when I was home, when I lived in London. It's, it's a small world, isn't it? It is. It really is. Uh, I miss I miss um, England golf, if that makes sense. I miss it, which is obviously, it's not uh, like Sandbelt golf, but there's uh, like the Sunningdale golf. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Wentworth, Warpleston, um, that sort of golf I miss. Um, I think... Uh, you know, only in certain tournaments now you see uh, how talented these guys are and their imaginations. Um, I think now it's uh, very much a, a soft game. You know, I'd like to see some more run in it. Um, but uh, I miss food. I miss the food in England. I miss bacon massively. I've lived in America for 20-odd years now. Uh, totally Americanized. Very thankful to live here. Um, the corner no, pub. Yeah, that's obviously the downside to Orlando. You have to, you know, like I said, I, you know, I have a young family and uh, my wife is a stay-at-home mum and obviously these 12, or sorry, yeah, these 12 weeks or three months has opened my eye to what it's like bringing up three children. So, you know, I'm not a, a big girl router. When I come home, I like to come home and, Look after my children and take a, try and take a bit of heat off my misses. But um, yeah, I miss. Uh, I, I I don't like uh, American people. Seem to bag the food in 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 Great Britain. It's uh, everyone's uh, all the players and caddies dread going to the British Open. You can't beat bangers and mash, can you? No, I breakfast, mean, no, lunch, sorry. or dinner. It doesn't matter. Yeah, cod and chips. I mean, what more do you want? Fish and I mean, what more do you want? So uh, I don't get that. I don't understand why they uh, and that, I mean they make a big thing of it as well. But anyway, that's uh, that's the old uh, Americanos for you with the food. Um, but uh, I miss, I miss uh, obviously I miss my, my family and that. But I, I I love I really enjoy America. I uh, I love you know the convenience of uh, of everything and uh, to be lucky enough to caddy on the PGA Tour. It's uh, very fortunate. 
So you've, you've sort of gone full cycle again. Uh, I know that now you're back with Cameron Tringali in a start yes, up again Cameron, soon. Yes, Cameron had been asking me. I had uh, I've been again. I've gone to the pinnacle, obviously, as a caddy, is to go to tour championships. And I've been fortunate enough to go to five tour championships, but with four different players. And when I say different players, obviously all super different personalities. And, uh, and I, got, I worked for um, Cameron after um, VJ. And uh, when I started working for Cameron, uh, I turned up in California in the desert and he uh, was, uh, had this big 30-yard slinging hook. And I was like, oh, buddy, this ain't going to get you very far on the PGA Tour. So after coming back from working with VJ, I said, hey, mate, you've got to start hitting it around the umbrella. You've got to start left the target and, and bring it on. So anyway, the first year, he was super happy and over a million dollars. And second year, he blew me away and got to the Tour Championship. And for me as a caddy, it's one of my... Um, I'm, you know, I'm pretty proud of the fact that Cameron Tringali and I went to the Tour Championship uh, one year, and uh, yeah, he asked me for a while. Uh, kept asking me, and uh, he's a lovely young man. He works hard. He likes to listen, and uh, as you know yourself, doing this job uh, out on the PGA Tour, it's very hard to get these guys to listen, and. Uh, some people work hard, some people don't. And uh, I want to be working for a guy who does work hard and uh, does put in the time, wants to get better, and will try and change stuff. And he has. And invest. He? he has. He, 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 and, you know, when I worked for him, he was a, a lovely golfer. But he now, I mean, he's just a totally, totally different beast this time round. And it's, it's exciting. His, his speed, he hits the ball I mean, so much further than he did. Than he did. Uh, so um, I'm thoroughly looking forward to uh, to starting up with him. His wife's having a baby, so uh, any day soon. So hopefully we're starting uh, up in Hartford next week. That'll be awesome. So we look forward to going to get the get the band back together. Yeah, uh, he is. Uh, again, I uh, in your career. You ebb and flow and you, again, with longevity. And I think that if you have longevity, especially in our sport on the PGA Tour, it's an unbelievable achievement. And I think also in caddying as well, if you have longevity in caddying, it shows that you know what you're doing. Uh, but uh, like I said, I'm all about someone who wants to learn. And, and this guy, if he's bad in an area, he'll get the best of the best lined up against the wall and say, hey, what are you going to do to make me better at this aspect of my game? And, and someone who's trying to do that, I'm all about it, you know? All right. So we're going to, uh, yeah, I look forward to watching you play out there and hope catch you out there soon. I'm not going out in the next few weeks, but hopefully down the road. I've got one more question we're going to finish, finish up on because there are, or have been, probably still are a little bit, characters that are caddies. Give us your favorite yeah. caddy story whether you were involved whether you know the person or whether you don't just something that i know i've, I've been a part of or heard a lot of them uh, i can well, tell caddy stories you know I, I just i think um also people don't realize um how ruthless the pga tour can be and when i say that this story that i'm going to tell here i mean it just this for me is uh 
it's unbelievable. I'm not going to mention any players' names or caddies' names, but there's a player who um, had a, a caddy by the name of Darby, Canadian guy, lovely guy, couldn't harm a fly. I mean, just a lovely, not saying he's Steve Williams, but just a loyal stand-up guy. Anyway, worked for this particular golfer for, a, I don't know, a year, six months or a year or so. And he's on the on the range on the Saturday night after the round or Saturday afternoon. And uh, the player has asked the caddy, Darby, to film his swing. So Darby's there at the back there, got the golfer's iPhone, and he's filming his swing. And as he's filming it, a text pops up on the screen. And it's the player's wife texting the player. And it says in the text, have you sacked the caddy yet? <laughs> From the wife. And the, the caddy Darby then turns around and hands the phone to the player after filming the swing and says, I think you've got something to tell me. So it's, uh, you know, we could obviously, I mean, I've got stories till I'm grand see, but that, that one, one thing is, is reasonably upsetting for me, the way how caddies do let, get, get let go. And the player or the man supposedly can't uh, just come up to the person and just say, hey, mate, listen, thank you very much for everything. I hope, uh, I hope that your future is uh, bright and bushy. Because I've had to do it myself, and, I, and it's, it's horrible having to tell a player that you have been given an opportunity to go somewhere else or better your career. <clears throat> I mean, I would never send a text message saying that or call up a guy and say, hey, mate, uh, I've been... Uh, asked to go and work here. So uh, that's a disappoint, disappointing side of it for me, uh, that uh, they can't, uh, or players can't uh, say to their caddy that's lumped their clubs around for X amount of weeks that, hey, mate, sorry, this is not working out. I need to uh, go a different direction. Yeah, face-to-face is always the way to do it. bit, bit too that, easy you know, with text messages and everything these days. Sure. But yeah, I mean, I've got, uh, thankfully, many stories. Uh, but um, I mean, the great one, I mean, <laughs> I'll never forget just quickly here, Rosie playing in Doral. Uh, he's playing the par five, eighth hole. And Fooch, wonderful caddy, wonderful guy, did amazing for Rosie. Uh, as you well know, I'm not sure people know, but Rosie came in that time to be quite high maintenance or hard work to work for. Uh, he can be very honest. So anyway, Rosie's pulled, hit, hit a bad shot on this par five at Doral. In anger, throws his three woods into the water to his left. Plays the hole out. Goes to the ninth hole, par three. Plays the par three. Tees off ten, par five, with all the water down the left there. Hits it down the fairway. He's walking up there with Fooch, and he looks across the water he says, oi, Fooch. He says, is that, is that my three-wood? There's a grip bobbing in the water. And the wind has blown his golf club all the way over to the 10th hole at Doral. <laughs> Fooch gets in, grabs the three-wood, dusts himself off. Rosie then hits that three-wood onto the green and makes birdie. <laughs> I mean, how's that one? True story, that is. At least he threw it in the right direction so he could get exactly. on the next hole. And downwind. <laughs> well, David Clark, thanks for talking to us, mate. It's been a pleasure. I love hit, uh, listening to some of the, the insights. It's a different type of 
game that a lot of people don't get to to see or hear about. You know, you get the few microphones up close catching up with the player and the, the caddy conversation, but there's a lot more to it behind the scenes that a lot of people don't see. And what you've been able to add to the conversation about the practice and the ethics and work and diligence that a lot of these players and yourself have put in has been a treat to listen to and I hope all our listeners will learn something from it and make themselves better golfers in the process. Good to see you mate and I hope to catch you up again soon. Thanks Uzi, you're a legend. You're welcome mate. Thanks mate. Thanks for listening. That was a great interview. David Clark knows his stuff. At Bradley Hughes Golf, I've always strived to bring you the best information from the best resources. Get inside the minds of the players, the coaches, the caddies, and basically anyone who is anyone in the world of golf. I've got some great guests lined up for upcoming episodes, so be sure to follow my podcast, click on it, like it, and add it to your favorite list. Until then, great golfing, and I look forward to you visiting us again soon.